Welcome to The She Births Show, a place to inspire your birth, evolve your parenting and help you live a life you love. I'm Nadine Richardson, your host and creator of the scientifically verified birth education program, She Births. I'm also a mother, yoga teacher, doula, author and speaker. At She Births, we have supported thousands of families around the world for over 13 years with our unique program. And our vision is to make birth better for every family around the world so that everyone experiences a beautiful birth no matter what unfolds. Not only do we help people have beautiful births, but we also give them the skills and the philosophy to enjoy pregnancy and make parenting easier. As well as our world-class birth ed, taken either face-to-face or online in our app, we also have a free pregnancy guide designed to help you feel calm, connected and inspired as you and your baby grow. We have a doula matching service, the perfect way to ensure you and your partner are completely supported throughout the whole journey. And we have our Soul Mama Circles, which are the perfect postpartum network to help optimize your mindset and design your life in parenthood. Remember, if you like what you hear today, subscribe, share with a friend and leave us a review. If you're a parent about to be one, fellow health professional, Join us now for an inspirational deep dive into topics with experts around the globe. We hope you enjoy this special episode. Today's podcast is with Liz Wilkes, who is the managing director and founder of My Midwives. My Midwives was established in 2010 and has supported thousands of families. They are change agents in the maternity system offering true individualised care that I so often talk about at SheBirths. My Midwives is the very first midwifery practice in Australia to admit women to hospital with Medicare rebates and also the largest private midwifery practice. They provide continuity of care across pregnancy, labour, birth and postpartum. Their care covers all the normal visits and aspects from booking into hospital, doing blood tests and scans. They also remain a mother's primary care provider but work autonomously and collaboratively with a range of hospitals and practitioners. They have exceptional outcomes and their data will be published very soon. Liz Wilkes was one of the first Medicare providers, midwives in Australia, and conducted the very first Medicare rebated birth. Most women I know will make a phone call quickly after they pee on a stick and choose whatever care provider their latest friend or perhaps their GP tells them to without actually knowing that outcomes and care can vary greatly within different models. This podcast is designed to help you and any of your pregnant friends out there understand the different models of care and guide you in choosing the best place for you. Because finding out midway through pregnancy at a SheBirths course can sometimes feel really deflating and frustrating. So today in our podcast, Liz and I talk about the spectrum of care, the importance of relational care what research tells us is gold standard, and how midwifery continuity is different to obstetric continuity. We talk about how Liz started My Midwives and what makes it so unique, and how collaboration and advocacy is key to your better birth, especially in the current climate. How midwives, doulas, and hospitals all interact really well together to help avoid unnecessary medical interventions, including inductions. We talk about birthing on country for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families. We talk about free birthing, what it is and what it isn't. And some of my opinions on that and some of Liz's, which we share, and giving yourself permission to shop around and trust what you feel is the best care for you 
really hope you enjoy this podcast and I hope you can share it with lots of pregnant friends out there because it's a really important and helpful piece of information for especially women at the beginning of their pregnancy journey. Liz Wilkes from Nine Midwives, welcome to the She Births Show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here, actually. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you all the way from Toowoomba, across the border, talking to me. Yeah, no, I mean, look, Toowoomba's a a great place, but it sort of feels, it does feel very, very distant to sort of New South Wales, where my family lives. So, yeah, we do feel like we're a long way away sometimes. But what you've done up there, Liz, is pretty groundbreaking and that's why I've got you on the show today I think what you're doing the work that um, you're doing and that your team are doing and the model of care that you have created is so unique I really want everyone to hear about it and you know I know you're an expert um, midwife but also you've got so many years of experience now of working and interacting with systems and different types of providers and yeah so there's so much we're going to cover today that I just know is really really helpful to all the pregnant women out there. Yeah no look it is I'm in a fairly unique space to be honest I do I do know that of myself in that you know there's the all of the clinical part of it and I guess that model development and uh, the I don't know, I suppose just even the intricacies of clinical care, but then there is that massive political policy uh, advocacy sort of acumen that I've got and the experience that I've developed in that, that gives me kind of a a really weird, um, (laughs) weird sort of uh, flavour to what I talk about. (laughs) Well, let's jump in and maybe give people... Um, a little bit of understanding um, of the whole sort of context and choices that pregnant women have within Australia. And we'll go sort of Australia-wide and then we could even talk, I suppose, about the differences between Queensland and New South Wales because they are really different. Yeah. The East Coast. Um, but, yeah, what when a woman pees on a stick, Liz, yeah. what she generally does, tell me if you think I'm wrong, is literally <laughs> panicked and just automatically like book into the care provider that her last best friend utilised and told her about. Yep. Look, women go in one of two ways. They either do that or they pop in, pop off to their local GP. And this is no slight to the GPs, but often the GP will go, you've got private health insurance or not. If they've got private health insurance, pop them into you know, the closest obstetrician or the obstetrician at the hospital that they're cho- that's close by or whatever, or sends them off to the public health system. And it's it's unusual for women to actually sit down and have a discourse with anybody about all of the options that they've got available to them. And particularly in a local area, you get rarely get women to sort of go, oh, you know, I've got all these alternatives available to me. So yeah, it's it's tricky for women to actually get that information. It is. And then I often meet them, you know, around the 24-week mark at birth yeah. education. And they often go through the program and do start questioning, you know, the model of care that they have and if they're going to get um, the right amount of support. Or we get emails from people um, very challenged by the fact, firstly long distances that they might need to travel to hospitals and so on, um, but limited by their choices. So yeah, ideal world, like if we had all choices kind of available to us, what would be the breakdown of that? Yeah. Look, I think that the thing is that there is a bit of a spectrum, you know, and you sort of go from the end and the the way that I divide it up is by looking sort of at uh, whether you want the same care provider involved in your care or not. And, And obviously the evidence demonstrates quite clearly that having the same care provider providing your care from the time that you're pregnant or through your pregnancy being available and around and with you in your labour and birth and then for the period of six weeks after your birth, that that provides the best outcomes for women and, and families. And there's absolutely no there's no doubt about that. Um, and that care provider can be a midwife and it can be a midwife in a range of different 
ways. It can be an obstetrician, but there are some differences, which I guess I can jump into in a minute, between obstetric continuity of care and midwifery continuity of care. But for most people, that, I guess, that sort of model of continuity is really without any shadow of a doubt, what the evidence says is best for for women and their babies. Obviously, along the other end, and for women that are in regional and rural and remote areas, that can be really tricky because they may not even have a birthing facility close to them. There are models where, you know, you can have some continuity in your antenatal care or in your postnatal care. You can have shared care with your GP. You can access a range of different um, options that sort of might piece together other things but typically and unfortunately the public hospital system and not that I'm going to bag it because we're very lucky to have a public hospital system in Australia that does provide um, maternity care but typically in the in the public um, hospital system you tend to have a lot of care providers sort of dipping in and out of your care and a lot of people involved and that tends to be probably the most disruptive I'm not going to say it's the worst model but it's you know the most disruptive in terms of um, not actually knowing what's going to be you know available to you at any given time really so um, I sort of I suppose I put it on that kind of a spectrum rather than the typical public private spectrum because there are you know continuity models in the public system and in the private system so I think it's important to know about all of those. Yeah, I think it is. But I suppose um, in the public and the private, like you said, continuity is quite different. Yeah. <laughs> and within the public, there's variations of continuity. You there know, is, like yeah. there's different, a lot of our girls are in Sydney and so they're at the Royal and they're, um, you know, in the birth centre um, if they can get in. Um, yeah. Having midwifery group practice. So they might meet yeah. five midwives. And then there's models down at the Royal in Melbourne, I think, where you've got, um continuity across pregnancy but they're not necessarily for the birth um yeah, yeah. birth education within yeah yeah so that and continuity so, of pregnancy so there's yeah. all these kind of variations yeah and look I mean I guess for me that's that it's that variation that I love to sort of dig into because I think you really got to have the same care provider or tiny you know, perhaps two, you know, a care provider and a backup care provider or, yeah. or a care provider and a couple of backup providers. Once you get beyond that, you're really sort of in a team where it's very hard to develop that level of relational-based care. And it's the relational-based care that makes the difference in, in the outcomes. And the other thing is, you know, people say to me, well, an obstetrician is is relational-based care. And, yeah, of course it is. But the obstetrician doesn't sit with you through, you know, six or eight hours of labour, unfortunately, and probably doesn't spend, you know, an hour with you or more every day for the first week post-birth. So, you know, there's you're right it's that it's that flavor that difference and I guess that that's what you know in in my midwives in in our model of care and in the models of care that we sort of have have all come from or developed uh working relationships in that sort of continuity of care or caseload care or whatever you want to call it where you've actually got the one care provider providing your midwifery care that's the that's the gold standard, I guess. It is the gold standard. And I think it's a really hard thing sometimes when you are pregnant to understand the importance of relational care because you just don't know (laughs) how shit's going to come up and how much fear and anxiety and doubt and worries and tricky decisions need to be made, you know, as we get closer so often in the last 20 years towards due date. Yeah. the vulnerability that we feel during like, And I think us as doulas, like we've tried so hard to plug up those gaps. You know, we try so hard to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. And, look, I think that that's where, you know, obviously the research demonstrates that having a doula is is a really positive thing for women um, because they do have that ability to have somebody that they know that's not necessarily um and and obviously the evidence demonstrates that the person isn't actually part of and I say the system but they're actually not in the system and I guess that that's where our and I'm you know I'm not trying to sort of compare us to doulas but that's the other part that having um a model like my midwives is 
why it is beneficial because we're actually not employed by the system. So we're out of the system. So we're not actually responsible or accountable to the hospital. We're actually responsible and accountable to the woman. And that's that kind of, that's the newness. That's that's just a huge distinction. And again, people don't understand that until, you know, often uh, there's real tough decisions maybe to be made or advocacy that needs to happen and so on. So let's talk talk people through like what the Mind Midwives model is like because your women can birth, your pregnant women can birth in a hospital or at home or, you know, public or yeah. private. Like tell us how does it all work? Yeah, so look, because we're so we're, we're basically what's called Medicare endorsed midwives or endorsed midwives. So we've done uh, we registered as midwife, got five thousand hours of clinical practice prescribing course, and then we get a Medicare provider number. And so the midwives that work with us are in little little pods, little groups, usually of six, with three pairs of two normally, and each midwife has. Uh, a sort of a caseload, and I don't like the word caseload, but you know, like a group of women for which they're for whom you know they're providing their care, and they provide their care throughout the antenatal period uh, in the, almost an identical way to any other model of care. So you know, they see the women at the same intervals. They can order all their blood tests, their scans. They can interpret all of those. They need medication for something. They can prescribe you know, a number of um, medications and they work collaboratively if needed with a hospital or an obstetrician or other practitioners, you know, dietitians, psychologists, whatever. Um, And then when the woman's, the woman can then, she's chosen a midwife, she doesn't actually need to necessarily make a choice about her place of birth uh, immediately. So that gives them, you know, how you said it, sort of 24 weeks, women start to get yeah. more information. So they can choose their midwife at the beginning. And then somewhere in that middle, mid of pregnancy, they start to formulate their ideas about where they want to birth and what that might look like. And then they can choose basically hospitals, birth centers, home, whatever they want to, whatever choice they want to make, and their care provider. Uh, um, is there with them. We have what's called admitting rights into a range of hospitals. Um, so we actually admit the women as our own, as our own, I don't want to use the word patient again, but as our own client um, and provide their care. So there's no hospital staff necessarily involved unless we need them to be. So sometimes we'll need a hospital obstetrician for some reason or, you know, somebody like that. Um, but the midwife is actually providing all the care, catching the baby, doing the, you know, whatever needs to be done. Um and then uh, when the woman's had a baby, the midwife's the person who checks the mother, does anything that needs to be done for mum, anything that needs to be done for bub. If you're staying in hospital, they check mum and bub over and then transfer them to the ward. If they're going home, check mum and bub over and then transfer them home. And then we see women sort of every day for the first seven days and then sort of whatever they need up to about six weeks and six days. So it's a different model. We started here in Toowoomba, um, as you said, and we've now got models in Brisbane, in Melbourne. We've just started um, in, in the Birthing on Country model in Alice Springs. So they're out there. So it's, yeah, it's been an amazing, amazing journey. Um, yes. But yes, it's a, ma- a great option for women, um, particularly mums that sort of aren't 100% sure where they, where they want to have their baby. Um, it just gives them a bit more flexibility in that choice. It's so fantastic because, like you say, it is about gathering more information. You know, we're trying to get a frigging PhD on pregnancy and birth in like six months, you know, and we're so, and also trying to rewire and forget all the crap that we've been. Yeah, it's intense. It's such a, it's such a difficult thing. And I think I really try to sort of say to women, look, if you can choose a model or a care provider or, you know, those sorts of things at the beginning and actually look for one that gives you as many, as a smorgasbord of choices as you go along, um, you can fill gaps. So, like, sometimes people will say to me, oh, well, I have to go to the public system and I'll say, well, consider what gaps you need to fill. Maybe a doula might help you to fill those gaps or, you know, all sorts of different things that you can choose. But if you can choose your model and your care provider and you've got that ability, that's something that's there in your local area, then 
that's the way to go. And then try and work around that as you as you move forward into places and the decisions that you make around what you want in your birth. Yeah. And now for a quick break. At SheBirths, we believe that pregnancy, birth and matrescence, the sacred postpartum, is an awesome rite of passage. Our free holistic pregnancy guide offers you six months of weekly support. Drop straight into your inbox or within our free SheBirths app, you can get content that will nourish your body, mind and soul. You can enjoy prenatal yoga videos, great recipes, birth affirmations, course discounts and more from me and my team the creator of the world's only scientifically verified antenatal classes it is our gift to you sign up today and receive the free holistic pregnancy guide at shebirths.com forward slash pg that's shebirths.com forward slash pg It's so cool what you're doing. I'm so excited for you coming to Sydney. Well, we really, really hope so. Uh, We're getting closer now, thank goodness. It's been a very, I think the first time we talked about this, it was quite some time ago, but, you know, it has been... um, has been different because, uh, as you alluded to at the beginning of the of the chat, you know the advocacy that's been needed to sort of get things moving in New South Wales has been quite a lot, really, because many other states are, you know, up and running with this model. Um, have been running with it. We've been in Queensland for thirteen years. You know, um, to not have it available in New South Wales and in Sydney is is crazy. Actually, just crazy. So um, yeah, I'm well- pleased that we're getting close. I'm so happy that you are getting close. And, I mean, already, you know, Queensland is just like winning, hands down, (laughs) compared to New South Wales at the moment in terms of like funding for midwifery care. Yeah. You being around for 13 years, like the choices and the rebate options. Yeah. So, look, I mean, you know, yeah, so to have Medicare rebated care, we've done, uh, Queensland has had nearly 5,000 Medicare rebated births. So obviously, um, you know, we're we're a private provider. We're not in a hospital system, but we can can both bill women and bulk bill women Medicare for their births, depending on their circumstances and and the situation and the model that they're in. Um, But yeah, so if a woman's paying for a birth, say in, in Queensland, you know, she pays around $2,000, I think it's around $1,900, but close it up to $2,000, she'll get at least $1,100 of that back and sometimes wow. even more. Sometimes she'll get all of it back. Oh, my so, God. You know, like it is It is that it makes it very much uh, an achievable option for women. You know, women that have wanted private midwifery care for a long time have often said, you know, to have a home birth is many thousands and thousands $8, of dollars. $8,000, yeah. yeah you know. So this makes it, this makes it a much more affordable option for women um, to actually be able to choose to have a private midwife really. Oh my god it's just so exciting. I think you're going to be so busy when you do get <laughs> up and running. I hope yeah. so. I really really hope so because yeah. I'm such a huge believer in this model of care. So what tell us a little bit about you know this visiting rights and and admitted right admitted rights and so on for the midwives. Like how hard is that for you to get off the ground? Look, it was really hard in the beginning, but now it's like business as usual. So, so in um, when we started in Toowoomba, we had to sort of go through a whole process of the midwives getting credentialed at the hospital and getting admitting rights and signing sort of our you know names in blood almost to to get in the door. But now that we understand the process and what's involved, it's actually very easy um, once you've actually got the documents and things in place. So in Alice Springs, it's taken us about six weeks to get admitting rights. So it's actually not, it's not tricky once you know what you're doing. And what admitting rights means is that just you're admitting a woman as your own I'll say patient in inverted commas, but as your own client. So you're actually acting in the same way as, you know, how doctors admit people into hospital, exactly the same, exactly the same process, really. And it just gives a kind of a pathway of how you engage 
with the hospital. And because you're not employed by the hospital, again, you've got all of those choices that are up your sleeve. You can, you know, negotiate things differently for women, but you obviously are still part of that um, sort of a, a kind of a, uh, amoeba on the side of the what is what's that symbiotic symbiotic sort of relationship on the side of the hospital system because you do need uh to have that backup of the hospital and that's usually why you're there because yeah. you, know, you may need to collaborate with an obstetrician or an anaesthetist or a pediatrician or a you know all sorts of different yeah. people um and working alongside them as part of that admitting process is is a fundamental part of this of this model yeah, so the second midwife for the birth would be one of your team as well or someone look, from the hospital? It just depends. Like someone asked me that actually yesterday. And, look, it does depend. It depends on sort of the timing. It depends on how many people we've got around. And it depends on the woman a little bit too. So, you know, you can actually make that choice. So you can go, okay, this situation could be a little bit more complicated. We might want two sets of hands or we might want to really wrap around that mum to make sure that she has got the two people there. Um, look, we have a lot of very diverse family groups and sometimes, you know, people don't want strangers in their space at all yeah. or they've had some sort of experience that they don't want strangers in their space at all. So we can absolutely, you know, organise to have two staff present so that there's no second midwife from the hospital. But likewise, you can have someone who's having their third baby come tearing through the door of the ED department or whatever up to, you know, into a birth suite and be, you know, having a baby in 10 seconds. And so you might end up with a hospital staff member in there and, you know, both things work out okay usually in the in the long run. Yeah, yeah, I get it. That's so cool. Uh, we often, um, yeah, talk about education providing individualized care so a, a, an empowerment in our couples to demand from the systems which are full of conveyor belts of protocols and so on in order for the system and the dinosaur basically to and cogs to turn smoothly that's a lot of analogies in that sentence yeah. but yeah. you know what I mean and people understand what, so a lot of our women are obviously incredibly anxious I bet he gets what word I'm going to say, very anxious about the threat of induction. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, wanting to be able to have individualised care rather than simply push down a protocol uh, stipulated by the hospital because of their age or because of, you know, I had a mum calling me the other day, you know, measuring her um, sugar levels, you know, border borderline. She's 36 weeks. Baby's measuring 2.3 kilos, but if that morning um, test is 5.3 mostly, um, right? So yeah, it's just yeah. over the five. Over the yeah, yeah. Yeah, and every other reading is great, but she's really anxious because she's been told if that figure doesn't go down, then she is not going to be allowed to birth in the birthing centre at Byron. She'd have to go to... Oh, yeah. Tweed Hospital. So, how would you guys manage that? If we oh, had we, Tweed Byron, how would you manage that? This one? is this is our this is our bread and butter. So, this is our bread and butter. <laughs> this is when you earn your money. All it. of that. No, we we just spend all of our time. Um, yeah, that that's why women will come to us. Typically, is that they're kind of just wanting to make sure they're not necessarily wanting to avoid intervention. No. Ways. No. They just want to make sure that if they're having an intervention, that they actually need to have it. That it's, that it's not assistance that's, and not yeah, an that intervention. It, yeah, that's right. So there's sort of, I guess that we just we just manage that. So look, if women are wanting to make a choice that they don't want to be induced or they uh, don't, you know, they want to have something that is not in line with hospital policy. That's quite normal for us. And so we find that most of the women that we would see, we obviously have a conversation with the hospital. We don't just go in there like yeah. a battering ram in, in at the hospital yeah. and say, but there's ways and means of documenting that. The woman doesn't have to get into a full-blown uh, war when she's heading to the hospital. It's it's our job to make sure that they are aware of what the woman is what the woman is seeking and and, and you know, uh, the protocols are there. They, they, as you know, all protocols are just protocols. They're just advice to give people. You know, they're not they're not set in stone. And sometimes I think that hospitals portray it as yeah. this is it. 
this is almost like a, a contract of law. And if you don't do it this way, then, you know, you're almost not welcome here. So we are able to absolutely walk that pathway with women. And look, there'll be times where we'll say to women, um, you know, we actually recommend that this is this is the advice that we would give you. And of course, women still have the ability to choose or decline our advice. And yeah. so, you know, it's, it's about that informed choice, which I think is one of the things that women are seeking so desperately because they've been sort of pushed so far with it. That's so true. And there's so much in what you just said there. And, you know, in this context of the birth trauma inquiries that we've had, um, so many women are sharing their stories like things were presented to them, choices were presented as rules and you are not welcome if you don't. And yeah. you can listen to a podcast that we did with um, a beautiful mum, Brooke, and another, I can't remember the other mum's name, but just like going into the system and, and saying, you know, at 38 weeks, 39 weeks, no, I won't be induced. And every meeting going through the exact same conversation to the point where, like, it's so frustrating. Like, what is the point of taking meeting notes if you don't read them and you don't respect what she's already said? And then when you say it, like, for that fifth meeting, you know, well, we'll just have to get the obstetrician in to talk to you about the risks. And she's like, I know the risks. I've learned the risks. You don't even present the risks properly to me yeah and it becomes very very um it can poison an experience you know it can make it really negative and very hard to of course go into that yielding surrendered but if you're there advocating and buffering and you are well, they don't even see that they Nadine they don't, yeah, even they don't see, see that. they don't even see any of that and that's the that's the key thing that it's not even like there's not five conversations there's there may be one conversation, you know, sometimes there'll be something that we think they actually need to hear from somebody else, not just us, you know, and that can be in, in a situation where it's quite a significant choice. So if there's something that's really that we're even sort of thinking, okay, um, have we got all the information? Is all the information there? We may say, okay, look, let's all go to uh, a case review process with an obstetrician. But there's not five case review processes. There's one. You go in, you have the conversation, the conversation is done, and then everybody leaves, and that's the end of it. And it's not then about prosecuting your case when you turn up again in labour or whatever, that you've actually got to go back to uh, back to square one again. You know, it's yeah. the decisions have, are made, the processes are outlined, we've decided, the woman's decided where she is in, in terms of her risk, and that's the end of it. So yeah. that's the beauty, that's the beauty of having you know, that sort of model uh, where you've got that care provider with the access, with visiting access or admitting rights. Yeah. And it's it's that's worth a million dollars in my world. But um, <laughs> many women postpartum, it's a bit like it's one of those, yeah, those things that people say like, oh, my God, next time we're getting a doula or oh, my yeah. God, next time we're getting a private midwife and we're birthing at home, like, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. And look, I think that's the other thing too, is that postnatal period that women often don't know what they don't know until they're there. And the women that sit, that have us providing their care uh, in that postnatal period, often they'll say to us, oh my God, I had no idea how important it was going to be to have someone on call to me in the middle of the night or that could pick up the phone and do a FaceTime feed with me at 3am when I am absolutely can't I just Work don't know what's going, going on. Can't get going, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, so that sort of stuff is also worth its weight in gold. And I think, particularly when you've got that relationship that's gone through the whole period together, it's it's really tailored advice because you know sometimes sometimes when you're sort of seeking out that advice postnatally, you've had a you've had a whole experience, and so knowing all of that, the midwife is able to actually tailor and duck and weave to where the woman is, particularly in her headspace um, in that early postnatal period, which I think is just is just amazing. It's just gold. It is gold. It really is. And there's so much um, tenderness and holding that comes, I think, when you can have those consultations at home. Uh, it's so critical. 
Oh, absolutely. Look, you know, I sort of I think about it and, um, you know, think about sort of the some of the responses. Occasionally the midwives will take a photo of a woman as they're coming in the door who's one of our, you know, a darling that we've seen for a few different babies or whatever, and she's there and she's a bit bereft in a jammies or whatever, and she's like, oh, my God, thank God you're here, you know, and, <laughs> but they don't have to get up and go anywhere. They're just, the midwives are just used to everything that's going on in the home, whether it's kids running around, whether it's whatever it is, and they can just sit there and be in the space, truly sort of just being with the mum and working through whatever issues, you know, she's facing on that particular day, which is, you know, pretty, pretty amazing, really. Uh, and it's, it's kind of the way it always was, you know, really. Yeah, and look, the funny thing is that as we've gotten deeper and deeper into the sort of birthing on country models, um, which we're heavily involved in as well, and looking at, you know, our First Nations families and the the grandmas and the grandmother's laws and the things that they did for forever, they've done them forever, ever, ever and ever, and uh, we just, yeah, we've got a lot to learn from a lot of those systems of care that uh, have just existed and that we we don't, you know, we haven't utilised in our society. Yeah, we've been pulled away from that over the last, you know, 150 plus yeah. years. Yeah. So can you tell us more about birthing on country for people who don't understand what that means? Um, yeah, give us a little sure. run yeah, look, I'll, I'll give you just a, an over overlay of that. Obviously, as a as a white woman, uh, we're just supporting a model really more than anything else. But basically, what that model is is where you've got a group of endorsed midwives, exactly the same like a my midwives group, that are actually um, embedded in an Aboriginal community controlled health service uh, to provide them with a model of care called birthing on country, which is based in in culture, in uh, the community, responds to the community's needs, has wraparound services, uh, so a range of different other uh, things like social work, things like housing, dealing with uh, all psychology, all sorts of other, other modalities. Um, the women aren't actually birthing necessarily on uh, the ground, as in like they're not actually birthing on their own land, as in home birth, but they're birthing on country because Australia is their country. And so they're birthing within that specific model that's based in First Nations governance, in First Nations cultural cultural support and with midwifery continuity of care. So we provide, I suppose, the tiniest little speck of it in the midwifery continuity of care, but it's everyone has a, uh Aboriginal cultural worker or an Aboriginal midwife depending wow. on what sort of model it is, uh, working with them as well so that they're actually provided care in a truly uh, culturally based method, I suppose. Yeah, wow. Does anyone get to have a home birth in Alice or? Uh, we, well, look, at the moment in Alice, we've only we've literally only been up there since the end of July. So um, we haven't had any home births up there at, as yet. Uh, we've got birth, a birthing on country model in the north of Brisbane as well. Mm. Um, and, and we've been working in that model for about, it's nearly three years. Um, and certainly women have got choices around what they want to do in uh -huh. those models of care. Um, Alice will take us a while to actually get uh, the program fully running. And look, I guess the thing, uh, the, the main thing to say is that sometimes hospital is actually not a bad place for some women to have a baby. Sometimes there's you yeah. know, a bit of complexity that can make it make it uh, an appropriate place. But if you've got your own midwife that's actually, like, I suppose, you know, looking after you from the beginning, it does make a big difference when they're not actually employed by that hospital. They're actually in a completely different realm. They're working for you and not for the hospital. So it's that's the difference that we see both in the data and in the the sort of satisfaction of the women. Absolutely. And I suppose for anyone who's out there listening, you know, you can hear some of the stories of um, birth trauma and racism down the South Coast and, you know, yeah. the origins of the creation of the Waminda birthing centre there. And also um, the, the last day, the most recent day of the birth trauma inquiries was from, yeah, women sharing just really horrific uh racist experiences um, yeah 
And we've worked alongside Weminda for we're, we're consultants on that project as well. It's it, we're not actually based in the model there, but we pro, we're providing support as they transition into admitting rights as well, uh, which they will have in the next little while. Um, so yeah, it's it's incredible, incredible stories that have come from that birth trauma inquiry, and I think it will be one of those sort of central moments. I think in New South Wales history where we actually see you know, some cha- some real change come out of um, women's experience and women's voices. Yeah, well, we'd like definitely like to see that, absolutely. And now for a quick break. Contrary to popular culture, She Births believes that childbirth can be the best day of your life. It is designed perfectly to be empowering, enriching and bonding, an awesome rite of passage. Our childbirth education programs have helped thousands of families around the world since 2008, allowing families to not only feel empowered through education, but also connect with their innate birthing wisdom to create the best birth possible and begin their parenting journey with confidence. SheBirth's unique methodology was scrutinized in university trials and has been published in the British Medical Journal for improving birth outcomes for both mother and child. I'd like to invite you to begin preparing for birth today. Just go to shebirths.com to discover our two-day weekend face-to-face courses or access the online courses from anywhere around the world. That's shebirths.com. Create your beautiful birth with the world's only scientifically verified antenatal classes. So let's um, maybe talk a bit about some of the, any other stories or special moments that might have stuck with you over the years. I mean, are you still catching babies? You're not. I'll be really honest and say that it's just over 12 months. It's about 13 and a half months since I caught a baby, um, which is really, really sad for me. Um, and the last birth is a very special birth. Um, the last birth is one of our student midwives and she's had three babies with my midwives um, and her primary carer uh, actually a primary carer has been the same midwife all the way through uh, and was for her last baby. And wow. his mum was actually uh, in intensive care on the day that this baby was born. So she wasn't actually there. And it was like, Liz, you're going to have to go and catch this baby. And so it was one of those moments of me going, because I've obviously, I've known known this student midwife for, for all of her births as well, but haven't been involved in them or haven't been her primary carer. So it was a moment where I thought, God, she's going to be really, really disappointed that it's me um so uh she wasn't she was very excited no, that it was me. Very but, excited, but yeah. it was it's been really funny because to say to her look this is actually this is my last this is going to be my last birth this is oh. going to be the last birth that I actually facilitate myself um oh I'll start to cry so yeah. that 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 was a really that's a really big thing for me to actually feel like that's probably the last time that I'm going to really you know really be the the doer um there might be other times where I put my head in the door and sometimes the the where the room that I'm in now is in the back of our birth cottage in Toowoomba so we've got a birth cottage here where mums from out western Queensland can actually come into the cottage um to have their babies if they can't find a home birth you know space or midwife out in their communities they can come into here and have their baby in here so often when I'm sitting in here not today but often when I'm sitting in here there's I can hear the dulcet tones of a mum in labor right nearby and so I can feel it and be be near it still um because you know having spent 30 years um absolutely in this space, catching babies all the time, being involved in women's, you know, in that just amazing journey of mothering. Um, I do miss that. Like I do, I do really miss that. So yeah. yeah. The magic of it. Oh, thanks for sharing that story. It is, yeah, the magic of it, the sacredness of it. Yeah, it's it is painful to think that I think the last I can feel that. <laughs> 
yeah, look, it's, it's, my my youngest is fifteen years old, and she was she was born at home. And um, you know, I can still I can still remember. There's there's a moment in her labour that I can still remember that feeling of oh god, like what am I? Oh, even now, I kind of draw up thinking of it. But you know, you do it, and it's it's that it's so powerful, and it is such an amazing experience. Like it just you know, but you've got to be in the right place. You've got to be supported by the right people, uh, you know, to to get that the full experience of that power. And I know that I had I've had three really different births myself, and the first birth wasn't in that power, you know, and it wasn't in that sort of space. Um, so I think that that. I was already a midwife, but I think that also profoundly transformed the way that I look at that choice of model of care and that choice of care provider. And not only when you think you know the model, but making sure you've really thought about where it is, who you're with, what's going on and what else you might need to fill the gaps. And that, as I say, that's where doulas often can come into that that space and be that, that additional, you know, uh, support if you haven't got quite the right the quite the right mix of people involved I suppose there's one more thing to say around that I agree we can fill the gaps but people sometimes expect us to act like a midwife or think that we can um, have sway within uh, the system which we absolutely cannot Um, we can only give you information to help you make choices and we can work those through with you and give you alternatives and ideas and suggestions and so on and help you with uh, emotional regulation and all those sorts of important things but yeah I can't go and sit in a boardroom uh, or talk to you know an obstetrician about inductions and stuff like that. And look I think that that's a really really critical point that um, I guess we're almost at the edge of a precipice around that a bit. You know, I think that um, women are sort of understanding that they need that really high level of advocacy and they need somebody that's actually going to be not only an advocate but can do it and can do all of that. And I guess that it's important to recognise the difference in the roles. You know, it is important to know that, uh, a doula a doula can't take the place of a midwife in that in that space and they can't take a place of a midwife in in other spaces as well because you know there is there is um a significant rise in women birthing outside the system with a doula and no midwife and look you know that is a choice but i think it's a really important thing to delineate who's doing what and what their level of expertise is and what they can bring to that space um, for each and every woman. Yeah, just like, you know, a midwife doesn't take the place of an obstetrician. I think there are places in Africa, you know, that have trained midwives to perform C-sections, but they're not generally trained surgeons, you know. Exactly right. And, look, you know, we're experts in physiological birth we're also experts in detecting when things are not going to normal and being able to hold the space for the woman in that. But when it's not in that, you know, I don't want to do a cesarean section. You know, I don't want to be, um, you know, an expert in surgery. Like I want to be an expert in normal birth. I want to be an expert in physiological birth. So it is, it's that delineation uh, of all of those layers that I think, you know, I think it's 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 really important that we acknowledge that there's a different skill set for everybody that's in the maternity care space. Yeah, and different layers of safety as well, different yeah. qualities of safety. Absolutely. You make a little statement to people out there that might, you know, are starting to hear about free birthing. That's what we mean by birthing outside the system and then wild pregnancy. So it's a, a huge responsibility that some uh, women or families are choosing to walk this path and it tends to be that the data that we have it does tend to be highly educated people often who've had choices taken away from them according to their location or who have some, had significant trauma previously and they believe they feel safer to birth uh, without any ultrasounds or testing throughout which is wild pregnancy and people pick and choose either way um, they might do one scan or they might do some tests but they're not have uh, a midwife there for the birth Um, and I just want to make it really clear for people out there that when you have a doula at a free birth it's not actually a free birth and by the way I don't know how to 
check your heart rate, resuscitate a baby or stop a postpartum hemorrhage. So I just want to make that really clear. No doula actually does know those things because they didn't no. go to university and study them for four years. No, and I think that that's I think that's a really I, I'm really pleased. You know, we're we're totally in alignment with the thinking around that, and I think it's important to recognise what those limitations are. Yeah. And and look, you know, the responsibility that people take in that space again, it's a choice. People do have a choice. But, you know, my goodness me, it is a big choice, isn't it, really? Because we don't um, we don't always know what's in the future. None of us have a crystal ball. And, yeah, it's about uh, deciding what your layer of, what your level is of risk is, what your layers are, what yeah. what is important to you. And I think it's really critical that women actually sit and have a good think about all of those things because often we see women, you know, both making all sorts of choices and, and wishing that they'd made different choices, both being in the system and birthing at home or, or, yeah. or out of the system. So it's really important that you've considered all of the alternatives. And just going back to us again, I think that having the ability to have somebody that isn't actually enmeshed in that system as part of your birth is a really great way of actually sort of disentangling yourself from yeah. some of the things that you think that you might have to have. And that's, um, that's, that's again, the reason why women often will make this choice. That's right. And that's it, to move away from grooming or coercion, which so which is I'm just so happy that those words are actually being spoken about in maternal spaces and conversations because yeah. we've known that it's been like there for decades and it's actually escalating every single year. Yeah, that's why the data is also increasing. You know, the intervention rates are increasing because that way of conversing and so-called caring is also increasing. The fear yeah. consciousness is there. So, um, what else can we say to the families out there? What else would you like to share? I think we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Well, look, I was just going to say on that data question, we've literally got, watch this space, because we've literally got uh, nearly 10 years of data about to hit the hit the publication, uh, you know, stands, I suppose. Um, and we've just done a full analysis. And because it's in press, I can't sort of speak uh, to it. But yeah. to indicate that this is what this it is what the World Health Organization says we should have. It's that sort of level of data, like you know, that we should have really low rates of cesarean section, where we know that if you have a Caesar, that you've actually needed to have a Caesar, that there's not been, you know, there's not been uh or that you've chosen to have one. Let's be frank, you know, you've chosen to have one or you've needed to have one. And I think um, I think the people out there, the folks out there just need to have a good look around as to what is available in their local areas before they make their first choice. Go and talk to a few different people, not like a few different care providers. Go and go and have a walk around. I often say to people, just wander around the local hospitals, ask if you can just not necessarily do even a tour, but just you know, go and go and visit people, go and have a look at them, talk to different care providers and talk to them about what you want, you know, what you're thinking. If you get kind of a strange response from them, then that generally gives you a very large answer about where they where they sit and what they're uh, what they're thinking. Not always, doesn't always work that way. You can sometimes be uh, you know, a little bit fooled. But the other thing is it's never too late to change. I, You know, we've taken women uh, into our care quite late in pregnancy and, yep, I get that, you know, the relationship side of things might have not have developed as much, but you certainly can still know that you're going to get a particular philosophy of care uh, around normal birth if that's what you're seeking. And we'll often have people in that point where that you said before about induction, you know, people that are getting sort of, you know, funneled into a particular approach come to us and say, look, that's like I get it, I might need that, but that's not the approach I want to take now. I don't want to be booked for an induction at 38 or 39 weeks or whatever it is or you know, the choices removed from me. I want to be able to have that suite of choices and exercise them if and when I need them. And so, yeah, I think it's important to know that you can change. You know, it's not a, not a, uh, you know, you don't have to stick with what you've got if you're not happy. 
Absolutely. I was one of those people that just continued oh, to wear you my whole pregnancy. I was like, I was booked into the Royal Birth Centre and it was the old one and they just like painted yeah. it hot pink and I was like, I hate this. Like it just <laughs> feel relaxing and I Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone was always really busy. So this was, you know, 22 years ago yeah. and I, we were living in Bronte and so then I went over to RPA Birth Centre and it just felt like warmer and they had the little cottage beside yeah, the yeah. St. George and it was the big spa tubs and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I feel at home here this felt good and then I just got like misdiagnosed with the UTI which was actually you know symphysis pubic disproportion that, that yeah yeah instead and put on antibiotics and I didn't need them because the girls were always rushing oh, and I was always going through and I was like what is what is this like I'm yeah. just I'm just not enjoying this and no. I was like, um, God bless Marie Burroughs's um Birthing Rights Centre in Bondi Junction. Yeah, yeah. Um, We had that 10 weeks. So actually, you could you pay for like two months, but you actually just keep going until you give birth. It's hilarious. Yeah. Up each yeah. week, having a little nap on the sofa. Yeah, yeah. Doing visualisations. <laughs> but, yeah, we liked, oh, this woman, Maggie Leckie-Thompson. I'd really like to have her. And, you know, I ended up getting the wonderful Hilary Hunter, who also worked oh, yes. at Springs. Yeah, yeah. Set up the yeah. at the Royal, and yeah. I was, you know, her last client. So my oh, son nice. Leroy was her last baby, oh. and I don't know how it happened, but it was magic because her yeah. husband said, "I don't know why she took you because, like, she gets like ten calls a week of people looking for a private midwife. For some reason, she just felt to call us back, and she took me on. I think at, I was thirty-seven weeks, yeah. and um, couldn't have asked for better care. Never regretted a moment. Yeah. I know I would have had a very different outcome physically and emotionally, um, and yeah." just profound the profound yeah. profundity of it and I think what she really brought is something that I continue to carry on is the sacredness of birth yeah. um just and I can hear that in your voice when you talk about that magic of being there when the baby arrives and doing that last birth and and that's you know I've realized through writing my book which I'm nearly finished editing but that's really what it's always been about. It's always been about like how do I protect and create the sacredness of birth for this family, for this child, and that's what we're we're doing in our work, all of us together. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you just got to feel that from somebody um, and when you feel that resonance in your heart and your soul and your goosebumpies, whatever it is, go that path. Just trust yeah. that. And if you and don't feel it, keep looking. That's that's the thing that I say, you will actually know. I say to women, yeah. you know, sometimes um, you know, they'll come, they'll come sort of saying, Oh, I don't know what to do, you know, with friends, friends, kids, and you know, kind those kinds of people. And that might not be that they've got yeah. they might not be in a location that's close to me. I say, look, just just stick with it. Feel it inside you. If you can feel it and you're talking to somebody and you actually can feel that they care, that they really resonate mm. with you then they're the right person. And if you can't feel anything or you feel, you know, something that's a negative feeling, then that is not the right place because it's it's just not. It's a, it's such a special, special um, experience and not just the birth but that whole continuum I think is, is so important. It's so important. If we don't get the birthing part right, then you know, we can't get, we can't get the rest of, rest of life right. You know, it's very, or it's hard. It's hard, much harder. It makes it much, much harder. Absolutely. Amen to that. Amen to women knowing. Amen amen to women choosing. Amen to lots of choices. Amen to your data coming out. And if you weren't running my midwives, I'm pretty sure you could have been a Middle East diplomat potentially. I don't know. (laughs) Very, very good at managing lots of egos and personalities. Oh my God. I always, I do, I must admit that when I wander around Parliament House sometimes, and not that I like poli- like politicians per se or, you know, whatever, I do walk around there and go, you know, I think that probably I would have ended up in that space in some ways if I hadn't been, if I hadn't loved so much what I, what I do now, because um, it is that kind of, just that dance of trying to make sure that you can, yeah, smooth smooth it all over make it all come together change it push it forward all that sort of stuff 
Well, you're a you're a godsend. We love you, Les. Thank you. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so for much. the work that you do, and thanks for sharing with our families today. No problem at all. Thanks for having me on. I'm Nadine Richardson, and you've been listening to the She Births Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share with a friend, and leave us a review. We'd love to know what you would like to hear more of. You can find me and my team of amazing doulas and educators at shebirths.com and our awesome community on Instagram and Facebook. Within any good app store, you can download our free pregnancy guide via She Births, two separate words and plural, as well as access our range of online courses. Remember, when it comes to having a better birth, an easier transition into parenthood, your education is your empowerment. Don't forget to check out the catalogue of previous podcasts and thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show.